0: Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. Ontario's Auditor General says she will investigate the reasonableness of government cost estimates of Hamilton's now-canceled light rail line. We'll chat with Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath. 2019, a very interesting year in politics, not only in this nation, but around the world. We'll discuss that with Peter Grafe, professor of political science at McMaster University. We'll chat with Scott Radley, host of The Scott Radley Show, on the year that was in sports from the Raptors to Bianca and Rescue to a lot of things happening locally. What a year it was. And we look back at this year in music as well as the last decade with Eric Alper.
1: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
0: We begin with the LRT. Ontario's Auditor General says she will investigate the reasonableness, quote-unquote, of government cost estimates of Hamilton's now-canceled light rail line. Bonnie Lissick is the Auditor General. She's going to probe the costs as part of a larger audit that her office is already conducting on Metrolinks. Now, as we know, one week ago today, the Ford Government and Transportation Minister Caroline Mulroney said... Uh, that's it. The project's price tag has ballooned from about $1 million to well over $5 million. And the government said, we just can't move forward with this. Uh, interesting to note, though, that the PCs have already said they're not going to release a third-party study it used to justify scrapping the project. Well, Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath is uh, raising a red flag as uh, is usually the case with the Doug Ford government. A lot of flag-raising uh, going around. And uh, Ms. Horvath joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Andrea, good afternoon. How are you?
2: I'm fine, thanks, Rick. How are you?
0: Not too bad at all. We'll start with this. What do you anticipate Bonnie Lissick's investigation will find?
2: Well, I mean, this is exactly why we've asked uh, Bonnie to, uh, or Ms. Lissick, to undertake the um, the review, uh, be- it's because there are too many questions and the numbers simply don't add up. The government is claiming somehow our project is, uh, you know, shoulders, head and shoulders uh, higher and more expensive above uh, the other projects that are either underway or, or are being planned, and it's simply not true. So, you know, the government's not prepared to be transparent. They're hiding uh, their... Um, you know, their report, uh, wherever they cooked these numbers up from. Uh, So the people of Hamilton deserve the truth. They deserve the real numbers, and they deserve a proper analysis uh, as to whether or not our our project is, in fact, uh, you know, ballooning out of uh, of, uh, whack compared to the other projects uh, in the hopper.
0: Do you get the inkling that the cancellation of Hamilton's LRT is politically motivated?
2: Well, you know what, I, I wouldn't put anything past uh, Mr. Ford, unfortunately. We've seen how he behaves uh, when, uh, when he, you know, gets something in his head that he wants to, uh, um, you know, behave badly, whether it's cancelling elections in Toronto while they're underway, uh, whether it's uh, cancelling our LRT. I wouldn't put anything past the guy, let's just put it that way.
0: Can Hamilton's LRT be saved or is it dead?
2: Well I mean I'm gonna to continue to fight like hell to save it and I think there's lots of others that are uh, feeling the same way whether they're people who are um, you know who are investors in the uh, in the kind of uh, properties around the route, whether they are uh, the people who are interested in making sure that workers are able to, you know, get thousands of jobs, which is something that I know La Una is very concerned about. Whether it's the city council, who decided 60 times, uh, you know, on 60 separate occasions, voted in favor of moving this LRT forward. Whether it's the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, who are, you know, extremely upset uh, by what this uh, premier has done. You know, it's 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 all of us, not just myself, who are going to continue to fight uh, to ensure this project uh, is. Um Uh, is, uh, you know, brought back or or, or is is back online. I mean, it's just completely ridiculous uh, what Mr. Ford has done. And as usual, he's made up some numbers, doesn't want to tell anybody where the numbers came from, uh, but he's made up numbers that are exorbitant numbers to try to uh, justify uh, another deep cut. And this one is one that's going to hurt Hamilton in a lot of different ways.
0: Our opening guest here on the Scott Thompson Show is Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath. You're listening to 900CHML. Transportation Minister, Carol, Mulroney had this to say after basically canceling Hamilton's LRT project.
2: We will be working closely with the city um, and in developing some of those options, but we will be appointing a task force to help um, um, identify priorities. If the task force uh, determines that the LRT is the right way forward, then the province will be there with its billion-dollar commitment.
0: So, kind of confusing from uh, the transportation minister, uh, basically saying uh, the province is going to appoint a task force. Uh, Hamilton will have, I guess, some input, I'm guessing. But if uh, we want LRT, we can have it, and that million dollars will go towards it. I'm not sure how, how that would work, though.
2: Uh, it's just ridiculous. And what sheer arrogance. Give me a break. We have a task force it 's called city council, and they 've been making the same decision for a decade now to move ahead with this light rail i mean how how dare they how dare they suggest that all of the work that 's been done that the one hundred and eighty million dollars that 's already been spent that all and it, it, we know it hasn 't been easy there has been uh, quite the controversy and, and quite the vigorous debate uh, in our city about this project but But how dare they say that some hand-picked task force that they're going to put together is going to tell our city and our, you know, community what's right for us? We've already made that decision. It's been made a long time ago. And for them to simply come in and bigfoot the decision that has already been made and that we were literally spending hundreds of millions of dollars towards uh, realizing uh, and then turn around and say their hand-picked task force is going to do better? I'm sorry. The whole thing is just – it's – it's absolutely disrespectful, and it's, it's, it's I, I, don't, I don't even have words anymore to describe the frustration I have with this government and with the way they behave. Uh, you know, Mr. Ford claims he's some, um, somebody, somebody who's interested in economic growth, in job growth, in investment, in business, well, wake up, Mr. Ford, you've just, you know, you've just really ruined uh, a lot of those very um, um, aspirations for our city, whether it's investment, whether it's economic uh, development, whether it's job growth, all of those things are tied into this project. And on top of it, it was going to help us with some major uh, underground infrastructure uh, renewal that needs to be done. So, um I, you know this um, i, I don 't know what to say, except that I guess the only good thing is that it continues to fire me up but i'm going i 'm going to continue to fight like crazy because this was a wrong headed thing to do, and I think mr ford's hearing from more than just me uh, about uh, about you know the wrong headedness of this decision
0: if I hate hypothetical uh, hypotheticals, but if the auditor general 's uh, investigation on the reasonableness of the government cost estimates around the Hamilton LRT project, if that states that. You know these numbers are unreasonable. Um, is there a chance that the LRT could still be reworked in some way, where the funding is committed to LRT and we continue to push ahead?
2: Well, I mean, unfortunately, what the Ford government's done is is they've you know they've put the, they've they've kind of twisted everything uh, and and have are moving it backwards now instead of even just remaining. Static, which would have been fine. You know, the private sector bids were on their way in in a couple months' time. That would have given us a good look at the numbers. Uh, if, if the project was looking like it was, uh, you know, getting a bit more expensive, then there's an opportunity to look for other partners, like the federal government, for example. But none of these things can happen in a timely fashion uh, by the government simply pulling the plug on the, uh, on the project. So I don't know what the numbers are going to say, but what I can tell you is that there's just it just defies logic that the that the numbers that would um you know that, that would be prepared or that would be evident in our project in the Hamilton LRT would be completely different from, uh, you know, the, the Finch one, uh, or the one that's going, the one that was built in Kitchener-Waterloo and now is going to be extended to Cambridge, uh, or, you know, name any, or the, the Here Ontario LRT, name any of them. They're all around the same ballpark. They have to be. That's the way these projects work. And so to, to imagine uh, that ours somehow is five times bigger, or, or you know, 130% more expensive, uh... is it's just it's ridiculous and so i am hoping that that's what the auditor general uh... whatever her report shows but we're not waiting i mean i'm not going to wait for the auditor general's report uh, at the end of the day we have to get this thing back on track and get it back on track quickly it's uh... it's something that You know, uh, again, I don't know when she's going to release it, um, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, that's um, that's information we need to know for sure. But I think it's going to be clear that that we are no different than any other project, and and it's in that kind of uh, leap of faith, I guess, if you'd call it that, although I don't even call it that. I think it's pretty um, logical to think that we would be around the same amount, and it's pretty illogical uh, to think that we'd be somehow, you know, four or five times more expensive. So I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep fighting, as I said, with uh, with all of those other people who are uh, on the same um, uh, on the same kind of uh, track as I am around the future of the city and the economic uplift that this project's going to bring.
0: We only have about a minute here. Um, uh, apart from Hamilton LRT, what sticks out to you the most, uh, memorable, good and bad about 2019?
2: Uh, well, you know what, 2019 has been a uh, a, a year of cuts. I mean, the, we had a terrible budget from the Ford government. They cut uh, everything from uh, public health to uh, to hospitals to education. Uh, they've dragged parents of children with autism through hell. Uh, I mean, we had a minister come to town and try to tell our mayor to they, he had to sign a do-not-disclosure agreement, uh, which is just ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, with t- 2019 has stuck out as a, as a year of a, of a terrible government hurting a lot of people uh, and not um, not seeming to care at all uh, about the impacts that their cuts have on families.
0: Ms. Horvath, always appreciate the time. Thanks for making some time for us. Uh, Merry Christmas, enjoy the holidays and uh, hopefully a much better 2020 in store for you and uh, all of Ontarians.
2: I hope so, too. Thanks so much, Rick. Take care.
0: You, too. Andrea Horvath, the leader of the Ontario NDP party, reflecting uh, not only uh, a little bit on 2019, but Hamilton's LRT project. And is there some new life in the new year? Well, we will sit back and wait to see what uh, Bonnie Lissick's report uh, indicates and whether or not the provincial government backtracks, because they have backtracked on a number of things. She mentioned autism. Uh, Maybe a backtracking on Hamilton's LRT. We shall see.
1: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: To summarize all the happenings oh Brexit as well, I mean, that's one of the major uh, political stories from overseas as well, Hong Kong, we can throw that into the fire. Peter Grafe, professor of political science at McMaster University, joins us now. Peter, how are you? Great, thanks. Lots to talk about uh, this year, no doubt. Uh, Can you recall a year that had this much wild and wacky political happenings?
1: I think every year is actually this. (laughs) <laughs> Wacky when all is said and done, but uh, certainly some momentous, uh, you know, things like Brexit and so on that don't come along uh, every uh, every day. But, uh, you know, every year has its share of unhappiness and uh, craziness in the world of politics.
0: I would argue that the SNC-Lavalin affair is the biggest Canadian political story of 2019 with, you know, the federal election a close second. But SNC-Lavalin played, I think, a big part in how the election Um, was contested and how it ultimately uh, ended up. Agree? Disagree?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was certainly uh, something we hadn't seen before in Canadian politics. Uh, You know, uh, a cabinet minister coming out uh, so forcefully about uh, undue pressure and, and the question of the politicization of the Attorney General. And I think certainly you're right that it did lead the Conservative Party to feel that they could have this story of a corrupt Liberal government as a way to carry them to victory. I think ultimately, for most Canadians, though, the story was a bit complicated. When all was said and done, uh, you know, the question about why the attorney general had to be separate and why pressure didn't have to be put on them, you know, seemed a bit nebulous to people. And so, at the end of the day, I don't think it it really stuck as that kind of political issue. Or, at the very least, people could say, "Yeah, we think something improper was done there," uh, but to turning it into a story of like complete corruption and. Uh, You know, a kind of disgusting abuse of power, I think, was too much for Canadians. Uh, They didn't see it that way. And I think, ultimately, the Conservatives then misjudged when it came to running a campaign on that.
0: An easier story, I think, to comprehend would have been the blackface scandal, although it didn't appear to hit uh, Trudeau that hard in the polls.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, uh, I don't think people were that surprised by it. Uh, You know, the political class obviously was. Uh, and certainly uh, you know different politicians tried to make hay out of it but i think for most canadians it wasn't like they were surprised that uh Justin Trudeau would have done that i <laughs> mean when trudeau came out and said you know he liked to dress up i think people knew that uh and you know it's not maybe something that they like about the prime minister and they might have questions about his judgment but uh, again i don't think it really struck people uh, as completely uh, out of left field uh In terms of his behavior and I think at the same time people said, "Well, how important is that compared to you know the question uh of you know what we had to choose uh, in terms of that election around things like climate change and taxation and the direction for the country I think particularly in a case where he had someone who had been prime minister for four years, and so people had a sense, well, did this person have what it took to be leader and we may have had questions uh about you know an over uh, overuse of theatricality we might have questions about a prime minister who doesn't really seem to take a lot of leadership, as we saw in this SNC Lavalin affair. He really relies on people to brief him and and, and go from there. Um, but uh, again, you know, the, the black face, uh, brown face, uh, it wasn't like Canadians said, well, can this person lead? Because we'd had four years of him leading uh, and could judge him on that basis.
0: Uh, after those two major issues, uh, Trudeau still forms government, although it's a minority government. Uh, a look back at the election, and uh, were you at all surprised at, you know, how it all ended up?
1: Well, I think uh, if we'd been looking at this uh, this time last year, we would have thought a minority government would have been quite likely, given where uh, the Liberals were in the polls uh, also, given the fact that, uh, you know, in the election in 2015, they'd come in just over 38%, and it was hard to believe that they would do that well again. And given our electoral system, uh, you know, a minority government would have looked fairly likely. Uh, also, a government which up to that point hadn't faced much in the way of huge scandals. Uh, and in a situation where the economy was going well, you would expect them to get reelected. So in that sense, uh, I don't think the outcome uh, was a huge surprise um, uh, it was obviously a surprise uh, to people in the western provinces who felt very uh, unhappy with the results. But uh, again, I, I think it was pretty well par for the course. We had a fairly uh, scrappy election uh, when, when all was said and done. Uh, but not really many moments that that changed the momentum. And I think we saw a Canadian electorate, which at the end of the day, uh, is unlikely to throw out parties when uh, you know unemployment is relatively low and uh, while economic growth hasn't been particularly vigorous. It has been in a positive direction in recent years.
0: Peter Grafe is a political science professor at McMaster University, joining us here on The Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott. The year began with much positivity around the federal conservative party. It ends with a thud, not only with the federal election loss, but Andrew Shears. Uh, I guess we can call it a forced resignation, but he has stepped down after some financial uh, irregularities. But uh, obviously the election loss was really the death knell for Mr. Scheer.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not impossible that he could have held on had he been able to, in a sense, express and and hold on to the hurt and sense of betrayal held by Conservative Party members. Uh, I think his response to the election to say that, Ultimately, as if he had won and that the Liberals, uh, you know, and and he's right that the Liberals got fewer votes than the Conservatives under our electoral system. Uh, But uh, to sort of treat it like he'd done nothing wrong and uh, that he was really the winner in that campaign, uh, I don't think helped him uh, in terms of in those crucial early hours as people in the Conservative Party are deciding should we continue with Andrew Scheer or not. He really seemed out of place. He didn't really own their sense of unhappiness, and at no point did he point out, well, what did he learn from this, and what would he do better going forward? And in the days that followed, again, there seemed to be very little uh, introspection, and I think uh, if you wanted to have a chance to succeed in that situation, uh, you, you, know, you would have had to be stronger. I mean, the fact that he had made weaknesses for himself in the sense of using party money to send his kids to private school, even if that had been understood by the, the leaders of the, the PC candidates or the Conservative Party Fund, it's presumably an allowable expense, um, you know, again, made it easier for people in the party who wanted to get rid of him to embarrass him. Because clearly for the base of the party to be giving money with the assumption that that's being used to try and elect a government, but in fact it's sending the leader's kids to private school, Uh, I don't think you have much chance of holding on once that comes out.
0: There's uh, a few names that are rising to uh, the top of the list in terms of the next conservative party leader. Pierre Polyev, Rona Ambrose, Peter McKay seems to be still out there in terms of a name. Uh, How do you see this shaking down?
1: Well, I think we're still waiting to see the specific uh, rules and dates for the leadership. They've moved their party uh, convention from April to November, but presumably they'll want the new leader in place to show up at that convention and and uh, advertise them. So, I mean, we're probably looking for about six months uh, campaign. A lot of people still trying to figure out whether they'll run, including former Quebec Premier uh, Jean Charest. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot of candidates who are waiting to see what the field is going to look like and what space it have to, to run in. Um, but uh, in many cases, it's not just a question of who has what it takes to lead the Conservative Party, but what is the soul of that party? What does it believe in in 2019? Uh, I mean, we've had a Conservative Party which hasn't really wanted to engage with some of the crucial issues of our time, whether it's slow economic growth, whether it's the sort of atrocious job market that young people are facing when they leave school. Uh, whether it's uh, environmental questions, environmental sustainability and climate change. So it'll be interesting to see whether they'll continue to say those aren't really issues, and, and we'll just talk about pocketbook issues or whether we'll see a new Conservative vision to say, yeah, these are, these are the concerns of Canadians, but here's our specifically Conservative way of uh, of dealing with them.
0: Jean Chardet is an interesting name because, uh, you know, the, the Conservatives, you would think, come next election time, I don't see anything changing out west, but Quebec seems to be certainly in play for the Conservatives, the Liberals, and the Bloc, obviously, because they have many seats there. Uh, if Chardet is in the mix, that, that's certainly in play for the Tories, is it not?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a political ace, at least in his day he was. Uh, I mean, by the end of his time as Quebec Premier, I think he was quite diminished as a as a politician, given the scandals that were around his, uh, his governments, but also the fact that he seemed most effective when he was fighting for his political life and when he had a comfortable majority, his governments in some ways got a bit lazy. But, uh, I mean, certainly if we looked at the 905, which would be an area that uh, the Conservatives need to pick up votes in, Uh, The sort of style and approach of Jean Charest as a kind of more centrist politician with excellent retail skills, uh, I think he could push a Conservative message. That could be quite uh, dangerous for the Liberal Party in those areas, Uh, similarly in the Lower Mainland of B.C. and in Quebec. So if the Conservative Party is looking to grow, uh, he could be an interesting candidate. I think the, for the conservative base, the question is, is he sufficiently conservative? He, he's an old member of the Progressive Conservative Party. He's uh, associated with the Mulrooney Conservatives. And in Western Canada, that's seen as having been a, a kind of a sellout uh, conservative party, not true enough to, to the principles of the party and for uh, protecting the interests of the West.
0: We're chatting with Peter Grafe, professor of political science at McMaster University, here on The Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott. Uh, where do we start with U.S. President Donald Trump? I guess we'll start with the latest, greatest, and that's the in- impeachment woes that he's currently enduring. Uh, the uh, House uh, did its part. The Senate will likely do its part. But how big of a legacy smasher is the impeachment proceedings?
1: Well, I mean, I think uh, the legacy maker, or the legacy smasher is re-election this year, this coming year. So uh... i mean clearly uh... the proceedings will always be something that's mentioned ar- around and the findings obviously of the house uh, and the vote of the house uh... certainly is a, a cloud that hangs over any presidency but i think independently of that there, there are enough uh... you know enough people uh... who have been found guilty close to trump uh... for various improprieties uh, I mean, the stories around the presidency i think will always be that it will be one that is seen as on the verges of illegality and in self-dealing and so forth. So, you know, the impeachment obviously must hurt uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump, President Trump. On the other hand, uh, to the extent that it rallies uh, the Republican base and, uh, and in a sense doubles down on the partisan divisions within American politics, it may really help uh, seal Mr. Trump's path to victory this coming fall. So... Uh, you know it hurts it hurts his image but if he gets reelected even in the face of that in some ways he can claim that as an even bigger victory
0: aside from uh, the the controversy surrounding ukraine uh, you know the, the president has done uh, um, uh, a lot of uh, trade uh, has put up a lot of trade roadblocks in terms of uh, tariffs for aluminum and steel. Uh, of course, here in Hamilton, uh, you know, battling with China, the new USMCA or the new NAFTA, or whatever you want to call it. There's been a lot of uh, smoke and fire and, and and some production as well on, on all those fronts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, the United States is going to come out of the Trump presidency uh, with a different status in the world. Uh, I think in many ways, uh, President Trump has decided that the United States won't try and uh, be powerful in the world by being a leader that works with others to create international institutions that serve, uh, uh, you know, the broader interests of the advanced uh, advanced Western states. Um, you know, that comes at some costs in terms of being able to achieve things in the future. Uh, but in the short term, certainly the United States, uh, with a significant economic and military force, can win, uh, you know, some specific... Uh, some specific fights, I mean, including with Mexico and Canada around, uh, you know, steel and auto uh, and a variety of other sectors. Uh, you know, the, being the most powerful country in the world allows you uh, to win those things. I think in the past, uh, the, the American ruling, you know, the presidents and the people around the presidents had a longer term vision in terms of American interests being served by. Working with others, obviously, uh, you know, under American leadership, but uh, making concessions to bring others along, recognizing that perhaps being uh, in in the United States longer term interest to have a set of allies who seem to benefit from the American leadership.
0: A couple of other big uh, international stories, Brexit and the situation in Hong Kong, and those will continue on into 2020.
1: Yeah, I mean it will be I mean I think particularly uh I mean the situation in Hong Kong is a is an important question of uh, democracy and uh, how is uh, democratisation going to look like or the authoritarian surge. So I mean that will be one to watch uh closely. Uh and of course the question of Brexit is now I think tied into the the broader future of places like Ireland and Scotland. So it's not only how will how will uh, Britain ultimately take this mandate and how will Johnson take the mandate. Uh, to pull uh, the uh, to pull Britain out of uh, the European Union and the costs that I will no doubt involve in terms of a relatively hard Brexit, but what does that mean then too for the potential reunification of Ireland uh, and the interest in secession in Scotland? I mean, those questions are complicated by uh, by the change. It was probably easier to vote yes for secession in uh, Scotland in the previous uh, referendum than it will be post Brexit. But certainly, the the future uh, right of, of uh, in some ways, one of Canada's parents is <laughs> really in in the mix in this coming year.
0: What person, uh, country,
1: region, or issue
0: is going to interest you the most in
1: 2020? Well, I mean, in 2019, if I was going to give my recap, I thought it was a disappointing year because the issue of the times, which is climate change, I don't think we move forward provincially or nationally or even really internationally in terms of making consequential progress. So, I mean, I'll be looking at that in 2020 uh, you know we have uh, elected a government federally that claims to be acting on it but the mission targets aren't being met so will we actually see some seriousness on this topic in canada as well as internationally again recent uh, international talks have broken down uh, will there be a way to actually find some solutions uh, you know as the planet begins to burn
0: It's always been on the front burner, I would think, over the last number of years uh, in terms of a talking point or an issue or someone uh, will point to it on social media. Greta Thunberg, you know, Times, uh, you know, news person of the year. Um, So it's it's out there. But the the action associated with it in terms of what governments are doing is really the missing link, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think these are things that are happening on a slow pace uh, and, you know, where where action today is going to not impact the the present but the future. And I think ultimately humans, uh, you know, I know this in all kinds of challenges that face me, the things that's immediate and pressing will get done, the things that were probably better for me in the longer term may not. And, uh, I mean, politically, how do you make decisions on these slow-moving things that are well into the future? Uh, how do you actually have that urgency to have political action and have citizens backing their politicians when they make commitments? Because we recognize it's in our interest. So, you know, how we develop that kind of consciousness, as uh, you know, with the limitations of the human brain, I'm not sure, but that's the kind of challenge that's before us as uh, as societies and as a species.
0: Peter, always appreciate the time. Thanks for making some time for us today. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and we'll chat with you in 2020. And to you, too. Peter Grafe, a professor of political science at McMaster University, a fantastic guest all year long, uh, years long. He's been with us uh, off and on for uh, a number of years talking about the uh, great things and not so great things that happen in the world of politics. On December 31st and January 1st, you want to tune in to 900CHML. In particular, between 3 and 6 p.m. as we have three fantastic year-end reviews one is on sports one is on federal politics and here's a little snippet of the other one on world news top world news story top world news story number one climate change one of the top issues on canadians minds this year especially heading into the october election was climate change and the issue was only propelled further when the world met greta thunberg i shouldn't be up here I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? The visibly emotional Swedish teenager had stern remarks at the United Nations Climate Action Summit in September. Her main message? That the plans leaders unveil will not be enough to respond to the rate of the planet's warming. And Greta Thunberg, the Time Newsmaker of the Year, has really gotten a lot of people Talking about climate change or maybe more people talking about climate change. We saw some massive rallies and protests in this nation and other countries as well. And that will be a topic of discussion that will certainly not go to rest anytime soon.
1: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Lots to talk about in 2019 in the world of sports. And who better to do it with than the host of the Scott Radley Show, and Sports Colonist with your Hamilton Spectator, Scott Radley. Scott, good afternoon. How are you, Rick? I'm fantastic. Yourself? I am wonderful, thank you. Are you all done your Christmas shopping? Or are you one of those Christmas Eve shoppers that will pick anything on the shelf just to say they did it on Christmas Eve and got it done?
3: No, I'm, uh, I'm early. Thankfully, my wife uh, likes to do most of it for the kids now, uh, mainly because I cannot be trusted to, uh, <laughs> to do it properly. But I did go to the mall on Saturday with my son, and, uh, you know, that's a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be dumping on Lime Ridge, uh, which is where we went, but man, oh man, it's the one time of year, it's the most festive time of the year, and it's the one time of year in your car that you do have homicidal impulse.
0: (laughs) You just want to give everyone a a figure-four leg lock.
3: Oh, you know, the battle for parking spots – is like, unlike anything, everyone knows this, everyone's been there and done it, but you you will sit and wait in one of those laneways, one of those aisles, for 15 minutes for someone to come out, and then someone will come whip it around the corner and dive into the spot. And I, you do want to take a tire iron and stick it in their ear hole.
0: <laughs> so can you imagine years from now, a Saturday before Christmas, and there's a Bulldogs game at the Lime Ridge Mall Arena, and uh, there's so many more people fighting for a
3: parking spot? But by then we will have our gondola up and down the mountain, so it'll be all better <laughs> instead of the LRT.
0: Yes, very much so. Uh, all right, let's uh, chat about 2019, the year that was in sports. Which was the bigger sports story in Canada: Raptors winning the title or the rise of Bianca Andrescu?
3: Oh, Raptors! I, and i thought not to take anything away from Bianca and Rescue. I mean, she's got a great story. She's going to have a. I expect she's going to have a great career. But. All it takes, Rick. Look, look at the response. I mean, the, the, everybody was feeling happy about Bianca Andrescu winning. I think, but there was something else. I don't even know what the word is that what the response was to the Raptors winning from coast to coast. And and this is more than you could see this if the Blue Jays won again. I think. Uh, you wouldn't see it for anything else, though. I mean, the Leafs, you wouldn't see it for because there are other NHL teams across the country. And certainly in the CFL, you wouldn't see it because there are teams from coast to coast. There's only one NBA team in this country, and they captured everybody. And even people who were not basketball fans were jumping on board with this thing. So, I, I again, not to take anything away, her story is great. Many years, hers would be unquestionably the sports story of the year, But, but there's no way... It can't be the Rafters this year.
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think a big part about it is, you know, here's a team that is now into its 25th year. So for 24 years, a fan base has grown over that time span. There have been a lot of lows, there have been a few highs yeah, yeah, along suffered, the way. Suffered. Yeah, it suffered. So now this is the. Uh, you know, that, that, that moment where the, that long suffering fan base can't explode. And they certainly did that. So yeah, definitely for me as well, the, the number one story this year, uh, not only that, but uh, you know, the parade went along with the Raptors story, yep. the Kawhi watch when he was, you know, a free yep. agent, uh, even, you know, the championship rings and the gaudiness of the rings all encapsulate a, a wonderful year for the Raptors.
3: I, I don't, and I say, I don't even think it's really close. Um which is, you know, I suppose unfortunate for Bianca in that sense, because again, many years you would be talking about her as the dominant story. And here's the funny thing: I, I think we will be talking about her much longer than we'll be talking about the Raptors' reign. I don't, I don't see much chance. I mean, look, they're a very good team this year. I don't see a chance that they're going to repeat. Whereas I say Bianca Andrescu, is there a chance she can win a major again next year? Yeah, there is. Um, is there a chance she's going to win more tournaments? Of course unless she gets injured or has the situation like our other female tennis friend who seems to lose interest in the game, which seems to be, you know, the problem with, uh, what's her face. Eugenie yeah, G- 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 Bouchard. Of the year. Thank you, Eugenie G- Bouchard, where it seems like she just kind of has gotten other interests and has lost interest in tennis. I don't think there's any other explanation. I don't see any reason why we don't see Bianca Andreescu as a top 10 player for the better part of a decade now
0: locally we had uh, the Thai Cats with an outstanding season but they lost in the Grey Cup to Winnipeg Forge FC wins its first ever CPL title the McMaster women's basketball team wins its first ever national championship even the Hamilton Honey Badgers in year number one of the Canadian Elite Basketball League makes it to the final of, uh, of that league not a bad year here in Hamilton
3: no a good year a very good year and I will say while the Ty Cats would normally be the story, the biggest story. If they had won, they certainly would have based on their uh the record setting year they had and everything else, but if I had to pick one local sports story, uh actually I'm going to pick two. It would be the McMaster women
0: mm-hmm.
3: winning the championship which first time ever. And the other story, which also would be basketball, would be the continuing rise of Shea Gilgis Alexander, NBA player who's now with Oklahoma City, and putting up big numbers. That guy is going to be a star for years, and he sort of burst out of nowhere within the last couple of years here at Hamilton, and now everybody knows who he is.
0: Yeah, it's been a fantastic run for him, and he's he's, uh, uh, only going to get better and and make this city, and Toronto as well, which he has a home base there. uh, Very, very proud. Blue Jays not not only making noise recently with the uh, signing of a uh, fantastic pitcher from the Dodgers, but 2018 was certainly a struggle in terms of wins and losses, but uh, a big ray of hope, and this was the coming out party for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and a number of other young stars on that team.
3: Yeah. What do you think about Ryu? about the signing of Ryu.
0: I like him. I don't like his age. He's 33. Uh, I know the, I, he was going to get paid no matter where he went. He's obviously the ace of the staff right now, and I don't mind him as a uh, you know wins-loss statistical pitcher, but now he's in the AL East. This is a uh, much different monster than the NL West. Um, I, I, I have my fingers crossed. I'll, I'll say that.
3: I don't want to be this scrooge right before <laughs> Christmas, and I know Jays fans are dying for good news. Yeah. It has been rough. I think Ryu is going to get killed with the Blue Jays. I think this is going to be awful. I'm sorry I do. He's mid-30s now. Mm -hmm. He's got a long history of injuries, and he has been pitching in favorable pitchers' parks out in the NL West. He now comes to the AL East with small home-run ballparks and stacked lineups of sluggers. I'm, I'm hoping to be surprised. But I think he's going to be just teed off on in the AL East,
0: Yeesh. and they're paying him a lot of money too. I and mean, eighty million lot over lot four years.
3: So does David? Yeah, K- as for the rest, though, they do have some pieces, yeah. and it'll it'll be interesting to see how they develop. I mean, they got a huge surprise from a few of those guys. I don't think Guerrero was as good as people expected right off the bat, but I think he'll continue to be better. They've got a bunch of guys still to come up that we keep hearing about these young pitchers, but they may be a couple of years away. Uh, we'll see, and and Rick, nobody in the AL East is beating the Yankees this year. They're just not. So th- this isn't even a year that you worry about that stuff. You're you're looking two or three years down the road.
0: Um, does the David Price uh, rumors make any sense to you?
3: Ooh. Do if you like players wearing bathrobes, then uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, David Price, is your guy or. Um, or those little scooters that he bought for everybody when he was here. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't know. What does David Price have left?
0: Not much, apparently. A lot of money. Yeah.
3: Look, if, if the Red Sox are looking to dump, and they'll pay half his salary and take a B or C level prospect just to get him off their hands, certainly the Blue Jays' payroll is not very high. They've got money. Yeah. And if it means, look, we'll take a guy on for $12 million a year, $13 million a year, And he may help us, uh, maybe, maybe, but I wouldn't give up a big prospect for him.
0: Yeah, I'm in that same boat, too. We're chatting with Scott Radley, host of The Scott Radley Show, here on 900 CHML, weeknights from 6 until 8. Sports columnist with The Hamilton Spectator, as well, doing a year in review in sports. And one of the big stories of this year in golf was Tiger Woods at the Masters, and what a wonderful weekend that was for Eldrick.
3: No kidding. And thank you for calling him Eldrick. you're the only person in the world who does that no one no one no other player gets called his nickname all the time reverentially. No one ever calls him Eldrick. I love that um yeah, that was huge and that did not just a lot of stuff for him, although that did it did a measurable amount of things for golf for the game and for getting fans back and getting people tuning in again that's a that's a huge moment for the PGA Tour to have Tiger Woods back on top.
0: I've always thought of him as the best and the worst thing for golf. It's the best when he's on and people are watching, because whether he's playing great or not, people are going to watch. But when the one day when he walks away for good, I I really and truly think that golf may not recover.
3: Or may not get to the level it ever has. No, unless there's someone else coming along like him. I mean, hockey has been very fortunate, for example, because you had Gretzky and you had Lemieux, and roughly around the time that they retired, you passed the torch to Sidney Crosby. And as Sidney Crosby's been winding down, he's still very good, but you've got Connor McDavid coming along. You've had this chain of command, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Who's the guy after Tiger Woods who you say is in Tiger Woods class at, at his... At his peak, and I don't know that there is someone. I mean, Rory McIlroy, is a great golfer, but is he the guy that's going to drive ratings like Tiger Woods did? I don't think so. Right. You I don't can, know who that person
0: is. Yeah, Brooks Kepka has had a great run in terms of majors, but uh, you know, really doesn't have the the, the cash or the personality that a t- or, a, or a draw that the uh, that Tiger Woods does.
3: If you ask ninety nine percent of people, just average people walking around, and you showed them a bunch of pictures and say, show me which one is Brooks Kepka. You had a police lineup. <laughs> yeah, Many of them would not know. No, But everybody would know who Tiger Woods is. I don't care if you've never watched a golf tournament. You would know who Tiger Woods is. That's the difference.
0: Two other very similar yet both phenomenal stories this year, the St. Louis Blues winning the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. after being at last in January, and the Washington Nationals going on just an incredible run to win the World Series. Um, do you do you put one ahead of the other in terms of the bigness of the of their championship?
3: Well, baseball is a bigger sport than hockey, so you give the Nationals that. But I think that for a story, the fact that the Blues, as you say, were dead last uh, going into the Christmas break and ended up winning. Boy, hope for the Leafs, right? For the Leaf fans.
0: Hey, we're um, in second place in the Atlantic now. Come on.
3: No, but it, <laughs> a month ago. Yeah. You were looking, saying, "Man, oh man, oh man, we need a blues like miracle." Well, it may be happening, but for story wise, to for a team to have come from that when they were talking about trading Alex Pietrangelo, who's their best player or one of them, and some other guys to hoisting the cup, that's remarkable, and that really is a remarkable story.
0: Uh, tonight, between seven and eight, is yes. going to be a remarkable hour on the Scott Radley Show because you are going to do one hour of an all-Christmas screen test.
3: If you know Christmas movies, Christmas TV specials, all that kind of stuff, all the things you watch on TV over the Christmas season, if you know that stuff, you've got to tune in, you've got to call in, you've got to play along. There'll be quotes, there'll be music, there'll be theme songs, there'll be all that stuff. Uh, and prizes. You know, good to win a prize right before Christmas. You can either keep it for yourself or you can give it away to someone as a present and not have to spend the money.
0: It's a great There's re-gifting no. opportunity.
3: Hey, I got a question for you. Do you got 30 seconds? Shoot. This is also the end of the decade. Yes. So, sports moments Oof. for the decade. What would be in Canada? What would you be your top 1, 2 or 3 sports moments? Wow. For the whole decade.
0: Uh maybe not in any particular order, but certainly the Raptors championship has to be yep. there. Uh I would probably put the bat flip yeah from Jose Bautista in Somewhere in there,
3: yeah, got two of my three so far,
0: and m- maybe Roy Halladay's no hitter slash death
3: could be, could be. I the other one I had, which was right at the start of the decade, which we've forgotten about, is Sidney Crosby's golden goal. Oh yeah, twenty ten has to be has to be in. It's there. Be there. But yeah, you got two of my three. that one and the Raptors and uh, the bat flip would be in there. You know, the funny thing is. We've had a very dry stretch with the Blue Jays, except for a blip there in the middle. You could argue that three or four of the best moments are Blue Jays' moments from that two or three years. The it's bat a, flip, yeah. Edwin hitting the walk-off against Baltimore yeah. to win in the playoffs, the Donaldson dash. and yep. Everyone forgets that one. Uh, there's a bunch. There's a bunch. Go, If someone want to tie up their evening tonight, go and start thinking about the top sports moments of this decade. <laughs> there's a lot of them.
0: It's interesting to see, or interesting to learn. Uh, yet they've accomplished nothing, <laughs> exactly <laughs> in terms of trophies. Exactly. Really,
3: <laughs> Scott, got you. maybe that'll be. Worth yeah,
0: well, maybe. Down. Scott, appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the screen test tonight. Thanks, Rick. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, weeknights six to eight, and yes, tonight from seven to eight, an all Christmas screen test. Christmas movies, music, TV shows. Call in, compete, try to win a special prize. Uh, during this uh, great time of the year. Uh, Also, uh, sports columnist at the Hamilton Spectator. Check that out online at thespec.com or uh, get a spec uh, subscription and uh, have it delivered right to your door.
1: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Joining us in studio is Eric Alper, publicist, music commentator, content creator, shameless idealist, and finally... Get to see you in person. How hey, are
4: you? so good to be here. So <laughs> good to be here in Hamilton.
0: We are talking about the year that was in music. We'll yeah. also look back at the the last decade as well, because it's been certainly an interesting one. At that, when you think of 2019 in music, w- what's the
4: first thing that comes to mind? Um, I think just the sheer domination that Canadians had on the Billboard charts, and and not only here at home in Canada or even in America, but in the UK charts and Japan. Um, in uh, 2015 it seemed to be the apex the peak of of canadians dominating the music scene with seven songs on the billboard top 10 being by Canadians, including Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, Drake, Alicia Cara, and Shawn Mendes. We have never received that much acclaim um, and had uh, that much success on the Billboard charts before or since. And I think that the 50 years that the Canadian music industry have been around and and a thing, um, it it finally took us this long to dominate as much as we have. So what did we do right? Um, I think we learned how to make a rhyming word for orange. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, you know, without without kind of boring people, back in the mid-1970s, we had something similar to this, where Terry Jackson, Andy Kim, and BTO were all on the Billboard Top 10 charts, and it made Canadian realized, including record labels and radio stations, that we do have a lot of talent here, that they don't all need to leave Canada to go to America to break a big, because we saw that. We saw that with the Guess Who and Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Randy Bachman and Buffy St. Marie, and all of these artists pack up and leave for, um, for bigger ventures. And in the mid 1970s, we started having success with artists that didn't necessarily always leave the country. That told the record label that maybe we should invest. Mm -hmm. And that told the record label and the radio stations like Y108 and CHML and stations like this that if you put money back into your own artists in your own backyard and you let them thrive, they could be successes here at home and around the world. It just took that long because that's how long it takes.
0: So we all know that music is so influential Um, Do we anticipate or do you anticipate that this is the beginning of something humongous in terms of Canadian music generation?
4: Yeah, this is it. I mean, you know, what's amazing about it is that you've got 12, 13, 14-year-olds right now that are being influenced by Justin Bieber and Drake and The Weeknd. And they're looking at them saying, if they could do it, I could do it too. And um, that is so important. Whether and we see it in not just music or entertainment, we see it in sports, we see it in politics. We we see it with with having heroes and heroines um, in our own community being able to do what they want and having success at it. And uh, this decade in music was certainly no different than the next generation um, taking a look at who's making it big this this decade, saying. I think I can dominate in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm.
0: I have a, uh, a list of artists that defined the decade and uh, I'll read the list. It's not too lengthy, um, but I'll, I'll and then I'll ask you a question after I, mm. I, I say this list. And I just compiled this yesterday. Drake, Adele, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, Rihanna, Beyonce, BTS, Kanye West, Katy Perry, Bruno Mars, Ed Sheeran, One Direction, and Britney Spears which my daughter forced me to put on the list. <laughs>
4: um, and, and the question oh, is... We could absolutely talk about Britney okay.
0: don, I, I, this year, uh,
4: in, in, in the decade. But yeah.
0: the question is, if there's one that you would put at the top of the list... And one that you would remove from the list, which would it be? Again, Drake Adele, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, Rihanna, Beyoncé, BTS, Kanye West, Katy Perry, Bruno Mars, Ed Sheeran, One Direction, Britney Spears. Who's at the top? Who gets the boot?
4: Okay. Even though I like all of them and I would never go negative, I would take Bruno Mars off the list. Really? Only and only because I don't think he moved the needle in a way that fascinates me sitting here with you. He absolutely had the number one song of the decade with Uptown Funk, according to Billboard. It was a 15 million selling single. He's had chart success throughout the entire decade. He will be listened to at every bar bat mitzvah and wedding for the rest (laughs) of our natural lives. Um, But he doesn't do anything for me in terms of cultural relevance. All of those people do, including Britney Spears, who made Vegas cool again. And as big as we can snark and say, Britney Spears, well, you know, whatever. Uh, the fact that she has brought hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, back to Las Vegas mm-hmm. made it not just cool, but a s- touring stop where Celine Dion made hundreds of millions of dollars, um, Elton John, Motley Crue, Kiss, all of these bands that would never be caught dead playing someplace like Vegas. Britney Spears did it first. She yeah. did it longer. She did it the best. Um, the one at the top, I would have to say Drake. Um, and not because I'm a homer and and it's Canadian, Um, not only is he one song away in the Billboard Hot 100 from breaking the all-time record for most Hot 100 hits, Um, he's right now one behind Glee, the Glee cast, Um, but I think that everything he has done, he's done perfectly and correctly, dominating not just the music scene but social media, the way that his cultural relevance um, has just hit here at home and around the world. Um, he has to be the story of the decade.
0: What makes him so good? Is it just the the picture that he paints in the words that he uses? Is it is it everything under the sun? In terms, you mentioned social
4: media. You know the the uh, the aura of him. Yeah, I think it's all of that. Yeah. I, if if I knew, I would try to find it and and, <laughs> and ball and it bottle up and it, yeah. recreate it and sign it. Um, I I think it's everything. I think that you know it's so strange to think that this guy was on DeGrassi. Yeah. Um. And you know, here he is. But I think it was. Um. Uh, it's the melodicness of his songs. The what he's singing about. His videos turned into memes in an era where people were taking. Um, uh, you know, bits and pieces of his videos and turning it into funny other sayings or funny photos on social media. Um, whatever he does, he seemed to come along at a right place with Toronto Raptors basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, even those little things that you think of like sports, you know, what does that have to do with it? I mean, the fact that he was on, you know, everybody's radar during the Raptors run made a lot of people just say, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's time I listened to his music. So yeah. I think, I think it's everything like that. I mean, we're never going to have, and the fact that he did it in such a short period of time too, it's, it's where he can release an album of 28 songs and all 28 would make the billboard top 40 just simply because of the amount of people that is in demand for it. It's, it's astounding. Yeah, We've it's never unreal. seen this in music history ever.
0: Is there anyone, or is there a group that you would add to the list?
4: Um, I'm not so sure. I, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see where a group like BTS, which a lot of people may not know about, is a is a K-pop group who um, is ultimately responsible for something like 23% of all the tourism in Korea and w- from people under the age of 21 are there to visit a BTS-like shrine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're following in the footsteps. They're going. It's kind of like, why go to Memphis, Tennessee? Um, and if you ask, you know, a whole bunch of people, they're there to see *Graceland*. You know, uh, right. they they have that much dominance um, over the cultural significance. So they've certainly brought K-pop, and I think that what we'll see in five or ten years from now is the closing and the shutting down of borders when it comes to music dividing people, where you can take um, music from this culture and add this culture and add that one without fear of cultural appropriation and being mm-hmm. called out on, in it on, uh, on Twitter or on social media, like we've seen in the past with white artists using R and B uh, music and then getting shut down because of, of black appropriation. That's been in music since the very, very beginning. I mean, even 15 60, 70 years of pop culture, that's what Elvis did. That's what Jerry Lee Lewis did. They took music that they saw from the South and and made it into their own. So I think an artist or or a group like BTS um, bringing bringing the the Korean culture to North America, I think it's only going to, Going to help, I think, make people realize that there's music outside of our own city.
0: Mm-hmm. Of those uh, artists of the decade, or those that define the decade, the list that I compiled, there, there's not a lot of rock and roll on there, and there's not a lot of country music on there either. Yeah, mm. is that is that disturbing? Is it alarming? Is that surprising? Or have I missed something? No, I don't think it's
4: I don't think it's as serious as people think it is. Um, I mean, what what we're finding right now is just this current crop of. of Of new music lovers that are teenagers have absolutely no interest in rock and roll except for um, the odd pairing of Paul McCartney with Rihanna and Kanye West because studies have shown that even with Google searches um, people just aren't looking for the Beatles or the Who and the Stones as much as they used to in the past and obviously box sets aren't selling as much as they used to when they used to package up people's catalog or an album because there's no record stores so you end up with a lack of of places to get that kind of rock music. Certainly when you have, um, you know, teenagers listening to pop and pop music and rap um, rock is, is a little bit further away from them as it used to be in the past. Um, But it, it, things are always coming in cycles. It took a band like Nirvana to come and blow Michael Jackson and Britney Spears and then sink out of the water. Nobody asked for Nirvana. Nobody asked for the Beatles. Nobody mm-hmm. asked for the Sex Pistols or Jimi Hendrix. It just happened as long as there was angry teenagers in the basement of somebody's house <laughs> with a guitar. And then suddenly, you know, they just start sprouting up. But I think what we're going to see is a is is a continuing dominance of, of pop music. So I think if you're a rock fan, you have to look a little bit bit deeper um, it may not be as easy as it used to be but it's there it you just have to find you just it look for you it. know yeah you just got to look for it a little bit harder
0: eric alper is our in-studio guest publicist uh, music commentator content creator shameless idealist you're listening to the scott thompson show on 900 chml rick in for scott today uh, reunion tours have been a big thing over the last number of years. Are we going to continue to see that in the years to come, or will they kind of dwindle?
4: No, you're going to not only see that in the years to come, and you may not even actually see them per se. Is that, um, over the weekend, I had a chance to check out an exhibit with uh, Tyler Shaw, and he was uh, a hologram made with AI and uh, a hologram tech. Uh, technology that um, kind of led me to believe that well you know, maybe the Stones might not actually retire as much as we <laughs> think gonna that live we forever. did because you know like ten years ago we were 10, 15 years ago everybody was kind of making fun of the Stones of like how long can they go for and the answer I said back then and even now is like as long as they want to really they're they're stretching the boundaries of what we used to think rock and roll and artists should retire nobody ever made fun of BB King touring or Buddy Guy right. or any of these blues guys that were on the road forever. Nobody ever would cross them, but for some reason it made it okay to make fun of You know, Eric Clapton or the Eagles or the Stones, when really I just thought that, well, what are they going to do at eight o'clock at night on a Friday anyway? Their wives don't want them at home anymore. They're (laughs) bored as silly. So you got to go back on the road. And I think that when you have artists like the Stones that are pushing those boundaries, that's where you end up with the Doobie Brothers and Sticks and Journey and Kansas and Chicago are bands that may have one original member, two, maybe three. Is a rarity um, but they just become a global jukebox and they just want to play the music that the people want to hear but as long as people will pay to go and see them I they'll say. always have a life on the road yeah. so you know we're the ones that are kind of to blame or to give a pat on the back for because we're the ones that are spending the money
0: yeah th- these are still lucrative for these artists as oh, well, right?
4: H- probably more so than they ever were yeah. I mean the average ticket now is somewhere in the neighborhood of 110 to $130 and that's just for an okay seat at some of these venues across North America they're not about to leave money on the table especially when you go back in their history many of them got ripped off for a lot of time and a lot of albums giving up their rights to record labels where even during their biggest hits they weren't making a lot of money because the ownership were elsewhere nobody kept the name or nobody owned the rights to those songs so this is their time to cash in and good for them
0: can you imagine if Michael Jackson were still alive or if Elvis, I don't know, he'd be, yeah. he'd, be, he'd be up there in years, but if they were still alive, the kind of money that they would be, be pulling at,
4: in? Look at Bob Dylan. I mean, yeah. he has no interest in ever coming off of the road ever again. And he's clearing up, you know, a million bucks to show. It's, yeah. it's like, how much is enough? Well, I mean, where you know, going back to what you and I were talking about is like, where do, you know, I never understood the snark of like a Britney Spears or that, that some people are getting. It, it's kind of like, I, I don't know if you and I had our choice. I mean, if does somebody come to you and tap you on the shoulder when you're 55 and say, you don't sound as great. Yeah, you're on the radio? <laughs> like you're done. And then you would say, actually, I still have a couple of more years left. In me. Yeah. Maybe it's not this, maybe it's something else. That's all that these people are doing. And I've been in, around enough musicians to know that, you know, trust me, like uh, during a weekend, they, uh, they'll handle being at home for a certain period of time. But playing music is not what they do it's who they are yeah. especially after doing it for so long this is the only life that they've ever thought of living and and just because you happen to have money in the bank it doesn't doesn't it doesn't burn that that flame out, it just kind of makes you think that. Well, how long can I actually do this?
0: Mm-hmm. Elton John, Billy Joel, two great examples. I mean, they've been doing it for years too.
4: Totally, yeah. And and like you know, you can throw at that word, you know, final or reunion tour or. We promise or, this time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it 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 means nothing now. As long as there's people to, to do it, um, you know, and uh, and it's it's great. You know, the ability. That You and I have talked about this before in the past where somebody unfortunately passes away um, and it's with a surprise, somebody like a Prince or Mm, David Bowie. Um, And, you know, we always talk about this about, you know, we always end it with, look, whenever some of these artists that are getting up there in age whenever they come to hamilton or or niagara falls or or wherever go see them because you'll never know that when this is the last time that you will mm-hmm. and we're kind of living in a in a strange time where these artists aren't retiring at age 40. you want to see gary lewis and the playboys they're coming you know yeah. it may not be the playboys as you know it but gary lewis is still there you know if you want to see Manfred Mann, they're still around you know and when you look at uh, a Paul McCartney or Elton John or Springsteen is going to announce shows coming up in 2020 if you've never seen them before and you've always wondered what the fuss was about go because you never know when that actually could be the last time
0: mm. uh, we got to cut it off there there's so many uh, more questions I want to ask you but uh, we are plumb out of time Eric always appreciate the
4: time thanks, thanks for, coming for having in. me happy new year happy holidays to you and everybody at the station it's been so good for you know to kick around ideas with you at any time same to you